David, uh, the psalmist and poet, said in Psalm 16, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. It's good to be with you and to worship with you this morning, Tara. My name is uh, Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at this church. And um, specifically, I serve as the discipleship pastor over all of Terra Nova. Um, and uh, we'll be serving more specifically even as the site pastor uh, once our new location up in Saratoga starts, uh, which will be this fall. Uh, we just wanted to give you guys a little bit of an update as to what's been going on with the new location. Um, we've been encouraged by how God's continued to provide uh, to make this happen and um, to see his blessing come in many different ways. This past week, I was able to get together with a few uh, pastors who came out from Syracuse, from a church that we know and love out there, who just wanted to hear about what God was doing in this area and what our plans were for Saratoga. And, uh, and at the end of that conversation, and actually before uh, that, they had already decided that they were going to be uh, supporting both financially, uh, but also in some other ways too, uh, the, the site up in Saratoga and even Terra Nova as a whole. Um, they have some areas in which they're, uh, they have a lot of wisdom, and we might be able to glean some of that through some trainings that they're offering us as well, um, which will hopefully serve to benefit folks both here and in Saratoga. Also, we've just been encouraged by the different ways in which we've seen people step up from this congregation who are um, feeling the call to be a part of that mission in Saratoga and uh, um, recognizing their gifts and already at this stage serving in different ways where we really need people to be so that on day one uh, we can function as uh, God's people and as a community in Saratoga. Um, if you are somebody who is still considering this as uh, a possibility for you, being a part of that, that new church um, a new location of Terra Nova, then there's a couple different ways you can find out more about that and, and kind of get a better feel for the community. This fall, as I mentioned, will be our official pre-launch, uh, which will be taking place at Temple Baptist in Half Moon. That'll be on Sunday evenings, and so uh, even if you attend Terra in the morning, you'd be able to check out one of those services in the evenings. That's September 9th will be the first one. And then there'll be some things even going on between now and then, uh, such as next weekend, a barbecue um, for that pre-launch team and anyone else who's interested or curious, which will be up in Boston Spa at the Navy Recreation Park up there. And if you are interested, uh, anybody's welcome. Uh, you can find out more information on the plaza, which is an extension of the city, our online community here at Terra. And if you have no idea what that is, that's okay. Just, just email me, uh, daniel at terranovachurch.org, and I can get you more information about that. Well, the last several weeks, we've been in a summer series um, in Proverbs, and we've covered a variety of different topics already, including uh, family, uh, humility, emotions. And today, we're going to be looking at what Proverbs has to say about words. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of Proverbs about halfway through your Bible, uh, just to the right of Psalms. And if you don't have a Bible, put up your hand. There'll be uh, one or two people coming around, or three, I guess, in this case, who, who can get you a Bible. If you don't own one, please keep this. We want you to have a Bible. And, uh, and if you do, then you can just return it uh, in the back on your way out. As a fair warning up front, um, we'll hear a lot of pages flipping back and forth if you guys are to try to keep up with all the different references that I'm going to be making from Proverbs. So my suggestion to you would just be to uh, highlight, maybe underline a couple that really strike you or just make notes in the margins of your Bible or on your guide page so you can go back and revisit those Proverbs uh, later on. Words are, are so basic uh, to the fabric of our lives. And in fact, we wouldn't even exist, we're told, if it wasn't for words. We read in Genesis 1 that God spoke creation into existence. And though uh, I doubt this was in English. He did use some kind of words, uh, some kind of language to bring creation into being. 
to continue along with this theme, we see that Jesus was referred to as the Word himself uh, in John 1.1. And that word uh, is actually in the Greek logos, which just carries the meaning of divine speech. Of course, the way in which God has chosen to preserve his truth is through language. And we wouldn't have the Bibles that are in front of us today. I wouldn't be able to communicate the sermon to you if it wasn't for words. So they're pretty essential uh, to everything that we are. Um, Proverbs itself is really heavily weighted on this subject. Um, There was about 200 verses out of the 915 in this book uh, that in some way, either directly or indirectly, have to do with this theme of words. That's a little over 20% of the book, or about one out of every five verses that you were to read through on average, you would see it has something to do with this subject. In fact, Proverbs has more to say about this topic, words, than any other topic uh, it addresses with regards to our lives. So there's a lot to cover uh, with this topic in Proverbs, and I've tried to narrow it down to some of the main themes that you'll come across. And so here's kind of the basic overline of, or, or outline of where we'll be going today. We'll start off by taking a look at the connection between uh, wisdom and words. Then we'll move on to looking at the power that words have in our lives to bring about life or destruction. And then we'll take a look at the root of where our words ultimately come from. But before we do that, let's start with prayer. Father, I do thank you, Lord, that we can gather together um, as a group of believers uh, and uh, with such freedom to be able to hear your word spoken, to talk about it. Um, We thank you, Father, that you're not a distant God, but that you're a God who's chosen to communicate with your creation, with your people. One of the ways that you've done that is through your word. Um, And we also recognize that we were created in your image, and so we're a people of words, that our words have the power to bring life or death. Um, And uh, we pray that you would work in us so that our words would be a fountain of life to those around us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. As I mentioned, there's a a lot of content in Proverbs that has to do with this subject, and I boiled it down to a few themes. But the most common theme having to do with words that you'll see in Proverbs basically is this. If you're going to be truly wise, then you actually have to embrace wise words. If you're going to be truly wise, then you have to embrace wise words. Now, I know that may seem obvious as you first hear it, Um, but I'm not so sure that that's that well reflected in our lives, including mine. When we talk about embracing something, we talk about uh, clinging to it, we typically think, physically speaking, of hugging somebody that we know and love. Figuratively speaking, it just means accepting an idea with enthusiasm. Uh, And if we truly embrace an idea, then it begins to manifest itself in our lives through our actions. We begin to live it out. The authors in Proverbs understood this, and they knew that embracing wise words would be essential if a person is to actually become wise. They make this very clear, in fact, that one of the hallmarks that distinguishes a wise person from a foolish person is that a wise person accepts and lives by the wisdom that they hear. In one example, early on in Proverbs, we read about a father who's pleading with his sons uh, to embrace the words of wisdom that he's sharing with them. And he says this, Let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, and do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. 
There's a few other examples in Proverbs. Proverbs 10, 17 says, Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Leads others astray. And then in Proverbs 8, 32 through 34, um, this is actually wisdom personified that's speaking, and wisdom says, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me. And finally, in Proverbs 5.13, we read about a person who's lamenting from their deathbed, and they say, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin and the assembled congregation. This is a person who obviously had teachers and instructors. They just referenced to them. But the difference between them and a wise person is that they didn't take seriously or act upon anything that they were actually taught. There also seems to be a very close connection between this emphasis to embrace wise words in in Proverbs and some of the teachings that we see in the New Testament, in particular, I think, of Jesus. Uh, In one teaching, uh, he was instructing his uh, listeners to build their house upon a rock and not on the sand. And uh, what he was saying was really an analogy um, to a wise person who not only hears his words, but puts them into practice. And similarly, we see this theme with James uh, later on in the New Testament in his letter. He warns us not to be like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and then walks away and immediately forgets. Um, But the analogy again being here, not only to hear the truth, but then to live it out. All of these passages are basically saying the same thing, that the truly wise person is one who ponders with and, or ponders over and wrestles with uh, and truly seeks to live out the wise words um, that they receive in his or her life. It's not merely enough uh, to sit in the presence of good teaching or, or to expose yourself to good teaching or counselors or wisdom in your life. Don't fall into that deception or that complacency. Some of you may... Uh, habitually listen to a sermon, a podcast of a sermon or something like that on the way to work in the morning. I do. Uh, I think it's a great way to start out your day if you have that kind of length of of a trip and that luxury. Um, But really, the question we should be asking ourselves is, when was the last time I sought to apply all this wisdom that I'm hearing? According to these Proverbs that we just took a look at, there seems to be a very fine line separating a person who sits in the presence of a lot of teaching and does nothing with it from somebody who hears good counsel and outright rejects it. It may be that right now in your life, there are pieces of it that are crumbling. And this could be for a couple of reasons. First of all, it could be legitimate trial that you're undergoing, uh, unrelated at all to your choices. God works that way sometimes. Uh, We see that in the book of Job. But it could also be foolish living. Consider where it is that maybe you haven't embrace what God is trying to teach you and what he's trying to show you. And trust him. He does know what's best. Applying his wisdom is not always easy, but it is always best for you. Well, we've looked at words now from the perspective of how to handle them. That true wisdom is to act upon wise words, to live them out, not just to hear them. But let's take a look now at the power that words can have. You've all heard the saying before, I'm sure sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. At best, that's a, that's a half-truth, and that's if you're a Christian. That is, no matter what anyone says about you if you're in Christ and how that makes you feel, that can't change the fact that you are loved by God, that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit for eternity, that you are his child, adopted by him. can't change those things. But nonetheless, words can be incredibly hurtful, whether you're a Christian or not. 
God has intended words to be powerful tools for good. But because we live in a sinful world, even in our own community here at Terra Nova, those words can be used for destruction or evil. There was a story I heard of a woman who a while back committed suicide. And the note she left, the only thing that it said was, they said. Words can be used either to bring life and healing or to bring death and destruction. In our country, we have the right to freedom of speech. And I'm, I'm grateful for this. Honestly, I think for the most part, that's a really good thing. But it lends itself to some people saying some pretty outlandish and hurtful things just because they can. As followers of Christ, one of the things we surrender as we become a follower of Christ is the right to be able to say whatever it is that we feel or whatever it is we're thinking. But instead, these things need to come under the judgment of God's word. And we need to speak through the filter or think through the filter of passages like Ephesians 4.29, which says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Our words are powerful. They may not be as powerful as God's and his ability to actually have brought physical matter into existence, but they do have the potential to shape people's souls for good or for bad. In Proverbs, there are many references to how words can be used to bring life or how they can be used destructively. We'll take a look at a few of those. Proverbs 10:11 says this, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Proverbs 15, 14, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 13, 14, a, The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. In Proverbs 18, 21, says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. For the next few minutes, what I'd like us to do is take a look at some of the different types of words uh, mentioned in the Proverbs that bring either life or destruction. And I want to start with talking about honest words versus words of flattery. Life-giving words have the quality of being honest, whereas flattering words uh, or just telling somebody what they want to hear are destructive. Proverbs 27, 5 to 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love, and faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Most of us have probably been in the spot where we've been close enough to someone who we cared about, a friend or a family member, who we've begun to see some destructive things that they're doing in their life, and we're faced with this dilemma. Do I say something and potentially jeopardize this relationship and and potentially be rejected? Or do I not say something and ultimately it brings about the destruction in their lives? This proverb says, better is open rebuke than hidden love, and... um, It's kind of a powerful figure of speech there. I don't think there is such a thing as hidden love, especially in this context when it's contrasted with open rebuke. And then when it talks about in the next verse how faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes we need to say things to those we care about even when it's going to hurt them in the near run and even if it puts our relationship at jeopardy at that point. Another proverb that's along these similar lines is Proverbs 6.23 to 24, which says, For the commandment is a lamp... And the teaching of light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. We don't reprove ourselves. Reproof tends to come from from things we read, whether it's scripture or other people in our life who care about us. Um, And we're told that they lead to the way of life. Be willing to receive reproof in your life. 
Finally, in Proverbs 29, 5, uh, we read, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Honest words are probably some of the hardest words that we have to speak to other people because of the pain that will bring in the near run. But that pain can ultimately bring about healing in life in the long run. It's how, though, we communicate this that I think really matters. Are we doing this with a sense of self-righteousness? I'm doing this because, uh, you know, this is going to elevate me in some way and, and put this person down. Or are we doing this, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, out of a motive of speaking the truth in love? Flattery, on the other hand, either tends to be a cop-out or is just altogether deceptive. And flattery not only keeps somebody blind to their weaknesses and their areas of sin, potentially, but it may even encourage them to walk in the very things that are destructive to them. Well, let's take a look at another type of life-giving word in the Proverbs. Um, And that is words that are few and well thought out. And contrasted against that are words that are many in number and careless. Those two things tend to go hand in hand most of the time. You know, if you, if you think about times in which you've thought through in advance what you're going to say, whether it's apart from that person or right in the moment, your words probably tended to be fewer, more to the point, and more careful. In those times where I know I haven't thought through clearly what I was going to say in advance and my words were more careless, I said more than I should have. That's kind of the point of what's going on here. In some cases, and in many cases, in fact, the person that this affects and hurts the most is ourselves. We see that in Proverbs 13.3 which says, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 10.19 says, when words are many, transgressions are not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is is prudent. Proverbs 21.23 says, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. And then ironically, this this point is made in Proverbs 17.28, which says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I think the point being, it's hard to get ourselves in trouble if we don't say anything at all. So oftentimes, we're hurting ourselves as much as anyone else if we don't take the time to think before we speak. You guys may have heard the saying before, whether it was in a movie or in real life, um, somebody uh, got themselves in trouble, and yeah, he got beat up because he doesn't know when to keep his mouth shut. That's kind of the... uh, the meaning behind the context of these verses. People who are careless with their words, who speak many words, who don't think through them in advance. But sometimes these words can really be hurtful to others too. Proverbs twelve eighteen is a clear example of this. It says, There is one whose rash or careless words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Sometimes we get ourselves in trouble or we hurt others when we don't think before we speak or when we say more than we should. If this is something that you struggle with, then maybe the answer for you is for a time, uh, for a season, to be intentional, to ask yourself questions like these before you speak, in your head, not out loud. Questions like, is this going to edify or build up this person? Or is God going to be pleased with what I'm about to say? In doing this, you'll also help yourself to be more regularly thinking with the mind of Christ. Proverbs 15, 28 kind of affirms this, and it says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The point here is to, to think before we speak. And in that pause, when we stop to think, let us consider the character of God and his truth and allow that to inform our words before we speak to other people. It may be a little bit of an unorthodox uh, habit to try to form, but so are most habits when they're brand new. 
Well, let's take a look at another type of word, this one which serves to really bring encouragement into people's lives. And that is what Proverbs calls an apt word, which is a timely word, a word that's appropriate in the given situation. Proverbs 15.23 says, uh, To make an apt answer is a joy to man, and a word in season, how good it is. And Proverbs 25.11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. These Proverbs are referring to well-spoken words that are suitable or appropriate in the circumstances. You know how you can say something sometimes, it seems to fall on deaf ears, but you change it around slightly and not thinking much of it, all of a sudden it means the world to somebody? It's kind of what's going on here. It's part of what this is talking about. The way we craft our words, the way we word things. There's a video that I watched online. Um, It was promoting a conference uh, that was called Change Your Words, Change Your World. Some of you may have seen it. Um, it on, I just saw it on YouTube one day. And um, it featured a blind man who uh, was presumably homeless, and he was sitting on a sidewalk um, with a sign next to him that said, I'm blind, please help. And he had a cup in front of him, and periodically people would stop by and drop you know, some change into it. A woman passed by this man, kind of did a double take, stopped, picked up the sign, scrawled something on the back side of it, set it back down, and walked off. And they don't show you at this point what it said, but you saw this remarkable change take place. And all of a sudden, this blind man was inundated with people throwing money and change and cash his way and into this cup. Fast forward to the end of the video, and they flash back to the sign that had said at the beginning, I'm blind, please help. And now it says, it's a beautiful day outside, and I can't see it. There's power in the way we word things. There's a sense here in these Proverbs when it talks about apt words, that craftsmanship is important. It's a valuable thing. It's not just what we say, but how we say it that can really impact other people. Some of you out there are poets, um, and, uh, and you're really going to be world changers with your words. I don't think that's going to be me. Uh, recently, I went to a uh, Connor Obrist concert, and um, he's a singer-songwriter, um, well-known for his lyrics, and uh, might be better known as the lead singer for a group called Bright Eyes. Um, and on the way home, I, my wife asked me, well, what would you think? How would you like the concert? And I said, well, it's all right, I, but I only understood about 5% of what he was saying. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that this was because he was just being really personal and kind of abstract with his lyrics and everything. Although my wife uh, continued on then to um, translate for me the other 95%. And all of a sudden I saw, wow, that this guy's actually pretty profound, and those are some beautiful lyrics. I mean, there's a reason why he's as well-known as he is. Point being, again, it's not just what we say sometimes, but how we say it. But I would add this, that it's not only about craftsmanship when it comes to giving an apt word to somebody, but it's also about prayer. There are times when I have really no idea what to say to somebody who's struggling or suffering. I just ask God to give me the wisdom uh, to say something that might be helpful. And some of these times I've come away uh, feeling that my words that I've said aren't anything special, but they were what that person needed to hear in that moment. Sometimes an apt word comes on the heels of us just praying for God to use us to encourage another person, regardless of how profound our words are. And sometimes if we don't know what to say, the best thing may just be to offer to pray for that person, and God could use the words of that prayer even to bless them and to encourage them. Well, I want to take a look at one more type of word that we see um, come up frequently in the Proverbs. It has to be addressed, and it tends to be a more destructive word, and that is gossip. Gossip is basically sharing any kind of personal information with others that's either 
none of your business to begin with or something that you should just address with that person. And there's perhaps nothing more def- de- uh, deflating and, and devastating to a community life than gossip. Proverbs, like I said, has a lot to say about this. And in Proverbs 16:28, we read, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs 26.20 says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there's no whisper, no whisperer, quarreling ceases. And what we also find out as we continue to read on in Proverbs, other uh, verses that have to do with this, is that it's not just the one who speaks who is guilty, but it's the one who listens, especially the ones who listen with pleasure. Proverbs 17.4 says, An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. And Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. I'm sure, especially that last one, resonates with all of us to some degree. We've all been there. There is a temptation, a great temptation, to listen to or be a part of gossip. The implication here for those last two verses specifically, though, again, is not that they were guilty for having gossip themselves, but enjoying a little bit too much, enjoying being in the know about what's going on. Just by listening and tolerating the gossip around us, we're sharing in the evil. Now, what I'm not saying is that in every given situation, in any situation where you happen to come across in passing some blurb of gossip that you overhear, that it's your duty to step in and interject and butt in and call them out on that. I'm not saying that. But what I do want to do here is give you a few questions for self-analysis. Do you find yourselves gravitating to gossip? Do you find that gossips tend to seek you out? And if you find that these people are constantly pulling you into their conversations, then maybe it's because you've become too good of a listener or a sympathizer or that there's somebody who, that, uh, somebody who can count on you for empathizing with their complaints. Some of you may find that you're caught up in gossip, but you don't even really want to be. You just don't know how to get out of it. And for those of you who are in that spot, I would just say this. If you encounter somebody who approaches you and, and they're going to gossip to you, you just need to tell them, listen, I'm sorry that you feel this way and what you're saying might be true, but I don't know, I wasn't there. And you really need to talk to this person about that. I think that that's a part of what Paul means by speaking the truth in love. Because I don't think that you're called to say in that instance, you are a wretched sinner, you know, etc. But what you, what you are called to do is, I think it's okay to acknowledge, hey, there could be some hurt here that's legitimate, but then direct them to do what's right, which is to seek that person out who they feel has hurt them and to address it with them alone. Now, this may not actually work. They may not actually do that, but you can probably count on the fact they're not going to come to you to gossip anymore. The other thing is it's possible that they won't have liked what you said and you actually become a part of their gossip. But that's, honestly, guys, that's where you just have to trust that God loves you and that his approval is far more valuable than man's because I think that's one of the biggest hindrances to us wanting to actually address gossip. All right. So our words can be incredibly destructive, or they can be life-breathing and a powerful source of encouragement and healing. The next question that I want to turn to and take a look at is, how do we then cultivate these kinds of life-giving words? The real issue here is a heart issue. It's not a mouth issue. It can't be rooted out by superficial means. 
Growing up, I had a friend who used to wear a rubber band around his wrist, and every time he would swear or say something crude, he'd snap himself with it as a deterrent from doing that. And I suppose it helped to some degree with his language, but it didn't touch his heart. There are times in my own life when I try really hard to keep my words calm and gracious in situations where I'm frustrated or angry with somebody else, um, just because I know that that's the right thing to do. But inevitably what happens in that case then is that what was really in my heart ends up surfacing and bubbling over at some point anyway. What I'm not saying is that there aren't going to be times where we just need to be obedient because we should. But what I am saying is that in those times, I think the right thing to do, even if we don't feel like it, is to pray that God, just pray, God, I'm full of myself. Would you fill me with yourself? Would you fill me with the fruit of the spirit I need? The love, the kindness, and the patience to be able to actually respond in a way that can be encouraging and healing to this person rather than destructive. The book of Proverbs makes the connection between the heart and our words at least 15 times. And so it's clear that the authors understood how the two are intertwined. I think, though, that Jesus makes this even clearer in Matthew 12, 33 to 34, when he says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's the trend for what's been coming out of your mouth lately, for what's been coming out of my mouth? Have they been words of encouragement and healing, words of honesty? Have they been words that serve to build up those around you? And even if the answer to those things is yes, were those words sincere? If the answer to any of those things is no, then the best place to start may be to apologize, to seek out that person who inevitably those words were hurtful toward, and just say, I'm sorry. So three of the most powerful words that you could ever say when it comes to healing an individual relationship or even within a community. I am sorry. But beyond this, there's still some heart renovation that needs to take place in all of us. And I think Proverbs 4.23 does a good job of capturing that. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. What does it mean to keep your heart with all vigilance? Basically means keep a close watch on your hearts. What does that look like? If what's been coming out of your mouth has been destructive and hurtful, then you may need to ask yourself the question, what have you been putting into your heart? What words have you been ingesting into your heart lately? To keep your heart with all vigilance, I think, can be broken down into two things more specifically. First of all, defend your heart from empty and destructive words. All right, You guys know what that is for you. The different contexts you find yourself in where really what you're exposing yourself to, whether it's groups of people or media, is just not really building you up. You know, one of my former youth pastors used to say, garbage in, garbage out. We shouldn't expect anything less. But secondly, it also means this, to ensure that you're feeding your soul with enough of what's true. Feed your soul with the truth. In the following passages of Scripture, listen for the close connection between words and how we grow or are sanctified. Philippians 2.16 says, and this is Paul speaking, hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And finally, listen to Peter's response to Jesus in John 6, when at this point many of the other disciples 
outside of the 12, had stopped following Jesus because it had become too difficult for them. Jesus asked the 12 the question, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So in answer to that question, what do we do uh, to keep our hearts with all vigilance? How do we address the fact that our words and what we say is really just symptomatic of our hearts? Continue to listen to the gospel, to these words of eternal life. Read the scriptures. Put yourself in a position to be exposed to good, wise truth from trustworthy resources, books, media, people who will tell you the way it is, people who will be honest with you. And then seek to embrace the wise words that you're given. As you do these things, God will be faithful to cultivate in you a deeper understanding of these truths in your heart. And as he does so, your mouth will become more of a fountain of life to those around you. We're going to take a couple of songs as the band comes back up now to um, celebrate communion. And as you come forward, you're going to hear these words spoken to you. As you take the matzah and you dip it in either the juice or the wine, you're going to hear Christ's body broken for you and Christ's blood spilled for the forgiveness of your sins. If you believe that today, you are welcome at this table. Take time during worship to really meditate on that. There are some worship songs here that are so powerful that are about to be um, sung, uh, especially the last one called Mystery, which just really boil down the gospel to a powerful truth. Um, And I just encourage you guys to meditate on that. And if you find that you're numb to these things or that they've lost their meaning, then plead with God to soften your heart toward them. Those words are meant to be nourishment to your heart as much today as they were when you first believed. Let's pray together. Father, um, we want to start out just by thanking you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, who we're told had the words of life and has the eternal words of life even today. We thank you for that. And we pray, Father, also that we would be known as a people whose mouths uh, serve to encourage others, whose mouths pour forth honest speech, things that would build up others, bring about healing in their lives. And where we've failed to do this, we pray that you'd forgive us. We pray that you would renovate our hearts, even as we seek to keep our hearts with all diligence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.